We'd like to welcome you back to our current event and weekly Bible study for July 12th, 2009. This is, I believe, going into part 11. And we're going to pick up where we left off with these verses, where you're going to see this confirmation over and over again. It's not just one verse in Acts that talks about this. It's actually several. We've already been through two sets of verses that get into this. Uh, Acts 15, 19 and 20. Acts 23, 24. Now we're going to go be going to Acts 20, 15, 28. For it seemed good to the Holy Ghost, or the Holy Spirit. Now the Holy Spirit's what indwells us as a born-again Christian. It seemed good to the Holy Ghost and to us to lay upon you, these are the, these are the saved Gentiles, they're in reference to, no greater burden than these necessary things, that ye abstain from meats offered to idols, remember I just said that, and from blood, remember blood, you do not want to eat blood, and from things strangled, and again, if you have, if you're eating from something strangled, most likely you're getting a lot of meat with blood in it. Now, I tell people, and this is, I know this is a side note, but I tell people, how can you purge blood from meat? Well, the easiest way that I know of um, is, like, if you had ground beef, for instance, it's one of the easier, more palatable ways to do it. You, you put it in a pan, um, let's say you have hamburgers or whatever, and I advise buying organic, but I understand everybody can't afford that. But you take vinegar, and I like to take, um, you know, the whole apple cider vinegar, and you put a good amount on there, you know, at least two or three tablespoons at least, and salt, and vinegar and salt will purge impurities out of meat. And sometimes even a little bit of water, and you just let that steam and you let it cook through, and a lot of stuff will come out of the meat, and you drain that off, and then if you need more oil, then put um, butter or grapeseed oil, extract, uh, grapeseed oil, um, uh, that's a good one. Or sunflower oil in the pan if you need more, if you've poured off all the fat, in other words. And do it that way. Uh, vinegar and salt, I've learned from a chef, purge meat. They purge chicken. You'll see a chef a lot of times will put a piece of, um, of course, you're not going to really run into that problem with chicken. It just doesn't seem there's not really, you really see a lot of blood in chicken meat, you know. I imagine if you just butchered it yourself, that could be the case. But the way you get it out of a store, typically not. But it will purge impurities out of the meat, the salt and the vinegar. And actually, I personally think it makes it taste better. Um, I've cooked this way a long time, and uh, I know Taylor likes it, and I like it. It, it tastes good. It, it, it really gives the meat a nice flavor. Um, but anyway, I just wanted to mention that. It's one way, because before, when I did the study, I said, okay, try to buy kosher meat, if you can, where they've done kosher slaughtering practices, but it's almost impossible to find Okay, so again, I don't want to put a burden on anyone greater than they can bear. And trying to find kosher organic meat is almost impossible. I found one place, like, that sold it, and, you know, it's just not, it's not practical for, you know, 99.9% of my listeners or people out there. So, anyway, I wanted to throw that in. And also, I think another thing as a safeguard is eating meat that's, you know, you don't want to eat something that's, that's, red and pink, you know, if there's, you know, if there's any chance that there's blood in it, I just would stay away from it. That's, you know, personally, I, I think, you know, it's just something the air, it, we're talking about airing on the side of safety. I'm not talking about something where you're going to go to hell, okay? I'm not, I'm not going to bring salvation into this subject. But what they're saying here is that we abstain from meats offered to idols and from blood and from things strangled and from fornication. Again, it says that about fornication. 
from which if ye keep yourselves, ye shall do well. Fare ye well. Remember, again, here we go again. The law and the Sabbath are not mentioned. And in the verse preceding this, and in Acts 24, where they're saying you're subverting souls, utterly destroying souls, saying you must be circumcised and you must keep the law. That's what they're saying is actually subverting souls and destroying souls. Isn't that what we're, we're talking about in this whole teaching? Except it's, that's just the, that's just the tip of the iceberg. Saying that we have to live under, um, the Old Testament Levitical law and, and under the Sabbath and, and under everything in the first five books of the Bible. No, now we've added in all kind of extra stuff with the Talmud and the Midrash and all these other things. It, and it says, to whom we gave no such commandment. What is, they're saying when you tell somebody you have to be circumcised and keep the law, what are you doing? You're subverting their soul. You're destroying their soul. Ultimately, they may end up going to hell because of something that you're trying to convince them of. Their blood is going to be on your hands. And if you're teaching that, obviously you, you most likely believe it and you're not a born-again Christian. If you are, you're extremely deceived. You're working for Satan. You're, you're an agent of Satan if you're doing this. Just understand what side that you're actually putting yourself on. And you can rail against me all day long and call me all manner of evil. That's fine. That's your prerogative. I count it all joy. I count it all joy. You know, Blessed are ye when all men revile you and hate you for my name's sake, for great is your reward. I'm not saying I'm Mr. You know, wonderful, perfect. I'm walking around. I have this big reward. I'm not even saying that. I am the least of all saints. If I got what I deserved, I'd get death and hell. That's what I believe Scott Johnson deserves. Apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. And I mean that. Um... So if we go further, let's see here. Okay, Acts 21, 25. Well, let's skip ahead six chapters. As touching the Gentiles. You see how many times this is addressed in Acts? Okay, now Acts is the very place that a lot of the Hebrew Roots Movement people go back to to say, see, we're supposed to keep the law. We're sp-. But what is it? what are we reading here? They're, they're, looking, at, they're looking at very um, select pieces of Scripture of the baby church, and they're saying, see, we're supposed to do this, where it's very clear, even in Acts, that the Gentiles were not under this bondage whatsoever. And that they were warning against this. The apostles were warning against this. As touching the Gentiles, which believe, we have written and concluded that they observe no such thing. This is regarding the um, the previous verse that we're mentioning here is keeping the law. And again, it's touching the Gentiles, which which believe, born-again Bible-believing Gentile Christians, we have written and concluded that they observe no such thing regarding keeping the law, save only that they keep themselves from things offered to idols, and from blood, and from strangled, and from fornication. Now, out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, a thing is established. We've got four different sections of verses here in Acts alone, which specifically address this subject. And remember, they all pretty much say the same thing, and in every single instance, the law on the Sabbath is not mentioned in any way, shape, or form that we have to keep. In fact, in Acts 15.24, it's saying that if you are believing that you have to keep be circumcised and keep the law, that your soul has been subverted or utterly destroyed, and that they gave no such... The apostles themselves gave no such commandment to do this to the Gentiles. So, that by itself, we could stop the study right here, but we're not going to because we're going we're gonna to actually address this much further 
regarding this subject because I, I think it's just necessary. It has to be done because there's so much controversy regarding this. So Luke is the author of the book of Acts, you know, one of the apostles, the beloved physician, uh, you know, we, I think we've got a really good first-hand account here. Now, we're going to go further. Let's go to Romans 5, 8, and 10. Romans 5, 8, and 10, and I will have these verses posted up. It's going to be pretty hard for you because I, I, they may not be in the exact order they're going to be up on the PDF file to follow along, but they are up there. Romans 5, 8, and 10 says, But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by his blood, not, comment, this is my comment, not the law or the Sabbath. How are we justified? We're justified through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. goes on to say, we shall be saved from wrath through him. We're justified through Jesus Christ's blood, and we're saved from wrath, the wrath of hell, through Jesus Christ. Not through the law and the Sabbath. For if, when ye were enemies, for if, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son. That's how we're reconciled to God. That's how we're made in right relationship to Father God, through the death of His Son. If, you know, if we believe on him. Much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Okay, now I'm going to uh, go into now Hebrews 7. Hebrews 7, verse 1. I'm going to be kind of, uh, for time's sake, I'm going to be skipping through some of these verses. Uh, but Hebrews 7, 1, and again, Hebrews is a whole book that, that is for, it's like a book for the Hebrews because they were getting so tripped up on this very subject that we're talking about today. They, they were they were wanting a lot of them were coming in wanting uh, Jews that were either there to spy out the liberty that we had in Christ as Galatians talks about in or Jews that were let's say false converts they were trying to pull people back into the law into this Pharisees and Sadducees doctrine the the, the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees so Hebrews is in, in large part addressing that particular subject Hebrews seven one said for this Melchizedek King of Salem, okay, um, Salem is an abbreviation for Jerusalem, and Salem also means peace, okay, the Prince of Peace is Jesus Christ, right, okay, Melchizedek, uh, which I don't really, we don't really have time to go back and look at that whole particular exchange that happened between Abraham and Melchizedek, but suffice it to say, Melchizedek was a was like Jesus Christ incarnate that appeared to Abraham, and we're going to be actually looking at that right now. Okay, but Hebrews seven one says, "For this Melchizedek, the king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of kings and blessed him." Okay, remember that he was bringing back the spoils. Okay, in the days of Sodom and Gomorrah and those types of things. So Hebrews seven two, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all gave a tenth part of the spoils to Melchizedek, being, first being by interpretation, king of righteousness. So that's what Melchizedek also means, king of righteousness. Sounds like Jesus Christ to me. And then it says, and also that king of Salem. Salem also means peace. The, the prince of peace? Yeah. Okay. King of Salem, which is the king of peace. Defines it for us right there. We're talking about Jesus Christ here. Without, here it says, without father. Now, in this 
verse, and this is why it's so important what Bible version you're reading, because it says without father, but it's it's a small f, not a capital F. You understand where I'm going with this? He didn't have an earthly father. Neither did Jesus Christ. Okay? Without mother, without descent, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like unto the Son of God. It's Jesus Christ we're talking about here. Okay, in other words, I don't know. Uh, Abideth a priest continually. Okay, remember, this is in Abraham's day as well. Now consider how great this man was, unto whom even the patriarch Abraham gave the tenth of the spoils. And verily, they that are the sons of Levi, under the Levitical priesthood, that's where we get Levitical Levi, okay, they that are the sons of Levi who received the office of the priesthood, remember, they were set aside and made priests of the twelve tribes, one of the reasons, and probably the primary reason that happened is because they, uh, when everybody was worshiping and making a golden calf, the Levites weren't. So they were blessed. I, I believe that's why. Somebody may want to argue a different point, but seems to be, it couldn't hurt. <laughs> so, they are the sons of Levi who received the office of priesthood, have a commandment to take tithes of the people according to the law. Remember, the tithes were also according to the law. I've done a whole teaching on the, on the concept of New Testament giving versus the Old Testament Levitical tithe. Okay? So, again, what does the New Testament say? If you, I'm not going to go down that rabbit trail any further. I've already done teaching on it. You can key on that um, in the keyword search box on my homepage on Sermon Audio, Scott A. Johnson. So, who receive the office of priesthood, have a commandment to take tithes of the people according to the law, that is, of their brethren, the Jews, the physical Israel, though they come out of the loins of Abraham. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, 12 tribes of Israel, that's how they say they come out of the loins of Abraham. Because he was there. In, he was, they were in his lineage. Hebrews 7.11 If therefore perfection were by the Levitical priesthood, so if there was this perfection that could be attained by observing, you know, everything in this Levitical priesthood under the Levitical law, for under it the people received the law, what further need was there of another priest that should rise after the order of Melchizedek and not after the order of Aaron? So this other priest that's going to arise is going to arise after the order of Melchizedek, not after the physical seed of Abraham under Aaron. Who is this high priest? It's Jesus Christ. This is the cre- this they're calling him the priest that actually arose after the order of Melchizedek. He was Melchizedek, essentially. Next verse, verse 12. For the priesthood being changed, there is made a necessity, a change also of the law. Okay, the Levitical priesthood had changed after the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, after the the new covenant that he brought in. He was uh, a better covenant, and we're going to look at all those verses. So, because of that, there was a necessity that the law was changed, is what it's saying here. Hebrews 7.15 And yet, it is far more evident, for that after the similitude of Melchizedek, there ariseth another priest. Okay, so, 
when you see that word similitude, obviously that's not a, a word that's common in today's vernacular. But what it means, according to Webster's 1828, is a likeness or resemblance, a likeness in nature, qualities, or appearance. Okay? So, that's what that word means. So, where it says here, and yet it is far more evident, for after the similitude, or the likeness, or the appearance of Melchizedek, there ariseth another priest, who is made not after the law of carnal commandment, which is in reference to, you know, the Old Testament Levitical law, but after the power of an endless life. Remember, he's the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end, you know, there's... That's what Jesus Christ is. For he testifieth, thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. For there, this is Hebrews 7.18, for there is verily a disannulling of the commandment going before for the weakness and the unprofitableness thereof. Okay, so let's just work, look this word of disannulling in the Webster's 18.28. For there is verily a disannulling of the commandment going before for the weakness and the unprofitableness thereof. What is this in reference to? It's in, it's in reference to the law. Okay? How do we know that? Because the next verse says, For the law made nothing perfect. So, again, it's defined in the next verse. We know for sure this is in reference to the law. Well, what does to disannul mean? Webster's 1828. To annul, to make void, to deprive of authority or force, to nullify, to abolish could go on and on. But that's what it means. So there is a disannulling. There's a nullification of the commandment going before for the weakness and the unprofitableness thereof. Verse 19, Hebrews 7, 19. For the law made nothing perfect, but the bringing in of a better hope did. By the which we draw nigh unto God. This is how we draw nigh, where that word means to draw near. We draw nigh unto God through the Lord Jesus Christ. He is a better hope, a better covenant. Hebrews 7.22 By so much was Jesus made a surety of a better testament. Okay, going to the Webster's 18.28 for the word surety. By so much was Jesus made a surety of a better testament. In this regard, the surety of a better testament, surety being evidence, ratification, confirmation. So he's, he ratified a better testament. He confirmed a better testament. He was evidence of a better testament. In other words, that's, you know, the foundation of stability is, is what that word means in this regard. Okay? So I'm, I'm just feeling compelled to define a lot of these words specifically if there's any doubt regarding this. So much was Jesus made a surety of a better testament. By this man, because he continueth forever, hath an unchangeable priesthood. Wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto him by God, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. Jesus Christ is sometimes referred to as like our heavenly advocate. In heaven, he is, he is there to ever maketh intercession for the saints at the right hand of God. That's why we go to Jesus Christ, because he maketh intercession for the saints to the Father. We don't go to Mary to try to reach Jesus. We go to Jesus. There is only one moderator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. That's what the Bible says. Okay, not, you know, 
Mother Mary. But that's just, you know, what a lot of Catholics do, unfortunately. So he he's able to save them to the uttermost that come unto him by God, seeing he ever liveth to make an intercession for them. Hebrews 7.26 says, For such an high priest became us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens. Um, Hebrews, and then let's go to the next uh, chapter. Hebrews 8.11 says, these are just a few verses I'll read here, or four. Now, of the things which we have spoken of, this... This is the sum. Okay, in other words, this is the summation. This is, we're going to sum things up here. So of the things we've spoken of in the previous chapter, in Hebrews 7, what we just talked about, this is the sum, this is the summation. So here's the, here's the conclusion. We have such an high priest who is set on the right hand of the throne of majesty in the heavens. Well, believe that. As a born-again Bible-believing Christian, believe that. He is our high priest that ever liveth to make an intercession for us. And we come boldly before the throne of grace to make our supplications known through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ and his finished work on the cross. And that faith, as a born-again Christian, we approach, we approach um, the Father God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Hebrews 8, 6 says, But now hath he obtained a more excellent ministry, uh, in other words, he, meaning Jesus Christ, by how much also he is the mediator of a better covenant. Remember, there's two covenants. One that gendereth to bondage. One that, that gendereth, you know, to freedom. The bondage one is the one that's based out of Mount Sinai. The Bible is very, very clear in that. If, if, you're, if this is the first study you're listening to from me, please go back to the last teaching I just did where we lay all that out. The Bible lays it out, not me. So he is the mediator of a better covenant, which was established upon better promises. Hebrews 8, 7. For if the first covenant, meaning the covenant that gendereth to bondage, was given at Mount Sinai in the law, the Ten Commandments, if the first covenant had been faultless, then should of no place have been sought for the second. In other words, if that was enough to save us, and, and, and if that was Jesus Christ's ultimate plan, there was no reason that he would have had to have come to earth and died to pay our sin debt. There's no reason he would have had to have done that. But that's not the case. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there should have been no place have been sought for the second. Hebrews 8.13 In that he saith, a new covenant, he hath made the first old. Now that which decayeth and waxeth old is ready to vanish away. That is how the Old Testament Levitical law system is being referred to, essentially. Now that which decayeth and waxeth old is ready to vanish away. Not my words, but it's the word of God. If you believe it's the word of God, and again, if you have doubts about the King James Bible, just key in KJV in the keyword search box on my homepage on Sermon Audio, or even up on YouTube if you want to do a search. Scott A. Johnson, um, KJV, you'll probably find it that way too. I've done so many teachings on the King James Bible, it would be hard to... But, the, but it'll come up if you, if you do a keyword search on Sermon Audio. So let's go further. Titus 3.5 Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to His mercy, He, meaning Jesus Christ, saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. Now, the Bible talks about the washing of the water of the Word. The Word washes us. It's like 
being in this sinful world that we live in, it's hard not to get dirty. Not meaning that we're going and participating in all t- manner of sin all the time, but the Word, it's like it cleanses us by reading it, by listening to it. And it also builds our faith. Faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. It regenerates us. Okay? It, I believe to a certain effect it sanctifies us. Okay, sanctified means to be made holy and set apart. Obviously, the primary thing that sanctifies us is becoming a born-again Christian. Okay, but after that, there are other things we, we need to do ongoing, um, you know, in order to, to maintain a right relationship with the Lord. And uh, going further, Ephesians 2.8.9, we've already quoted this, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, not including the law and the Sabbath, lest any man should boast. What is the law? What if you keep the law on the Sabbath and you believe that's getting you to heaven? Well, then that's a work. And then you can boast about it. But isn't that what this all always can, kind of goes back to? Remember the letter I read at the very first part of the thing where she said, this is breeding elitism, spiritual elitism, and pride? Well, pride was the first thing that took Satan down, really. Because of his beauty and his merchandise, the Bible says he was lifted up. And then that's when he, after that was when he fell. Because he wanted to be like God. Well, it didn't work out too good for Satan. It's not going to work out good for him in the lake of fire or any of the other fallen angels that have fallen with him or any of the demons and devils that work with him. They're all going to burn in the lake of fire for eternity. And they're trying to take as many people to the lake of fire as they can because misery loves company. Okay. Let's go further. Colossians. Uh, let's see here. Oh, hold on, let me, let me make sure I'm giving you the right verse here. Okay, sorry about that, I hadn't put the verse in there correctly, the uh, verse number. Colossians 1, 21 through 23. Colossians 1, 21 through 23. And again, these will all be on the PDF uh, document that I'll post up on the internet. And you that were sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind by the wicked works... Yet now hath he, meaning Jesus, reconciled, meaning now we're in right relationship and standing, meaning reconciled, he, yet now hath he, Jesus, reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unprovable in his sight if, if, ye continue in the faith grounded and settled and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel. This is an if verse. Well, what if you're not? What if you're... I mean, this sounds like a pretty good thing. We're, we're um, reconciled in the body of Jesus Christ's flesh through, uh, through really through his death to present us holy and unblameable and unprovable in his sight if we continue in, in the faith grounded and settled and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel. But isn't that what we're doing when... We're going to these Hebrew Roots guys, and we're, oh no, I still believe in, oh, I hear it all the time, I still believe in Jesus Christ. Okay, maybe you still believe that. But how then are you believing all the other stuff? You're telling me you're not adding to the Word of God when you believe that you've got to do this, and you've got to do that, and you've got to keep this, and you've got to do that. And you're going to have to choose whom this day you're going to serve. 
if you continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel. What we're talking about, what I did in that teaching on salvation, we were talking about the hope of the gospel. That is what saves you. Not works, lest any man should boast. And this is exactly the thing the Hebrew Roots Movement and the Pharisees and Sadducees of old and the Pharisees and Sadducees of today are trying to do. They're trying to remove you away from the hope of the gospel. And generally, the first thing I see them doing in order to get you to do that is they question the word of God, just like Satan did in the Garden of Eden to Eve, as he is the most subtle beast of the field. If they can get you to believe that the word of God is not the word of God, then they've got you right where they want you, and they've moved you away from the hope of the gospel. So if you continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel, which ye have heard, and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, am made minister. Now, Paul, you know, formerly was one of them, one of the, you know, Pharisees. And so, if anybody's qualified to say this, he is. He knows the bondage that... um that can be brought on by that. So now let's go to Galatians, Galatians 1.6. We're just going to be skipping around Galatians. Let's see what Galatians has to say about this particular subject. I marvel, remember, to the church of Galatia. Okay, so let's give some background on the book of Galatians. The, the, the Apostle Paul wrote the book of Galatians. Galatians was probably written around 60 AD during Paul's third visit to Corinth. The occasion of the epistle is evident. It had come to Paul's knowledge that the fickle Galatians, who were not Greeks, but Gauls, which is a stream from the torrent of the barbarians which poured into Greece in the 3rd century before Christ, had become prey of the legalizers, the Judaizing missionaries from Palestine. These Gauls that were probably kind of like baby Christians had become prey of the legalizers, the Judaizing missionaries from Palestine. It's the exact same thing we're dealing with today in the Hebrew Roots Movement. People that start out well-intentioned, born-again, Bible-believing Christians have become prey to these same Judaizers. Except now it's even worse. As far as the doctrine they're putting forth. The theme of the Galatians is the vindication of the gospel of the grace of God from any admixture of the law conditions. Meaning, okay, yeah, you're saved by grace through faith, but you also got to do this. You got to keep the law. You got to keep the Sabbath. No. The theme of this whole book is the vindication of the gospel of grace from any admixture of the law circumstances which qualify or destroy its character of pure grace. The Galatian heir had two forms, both of them of which are refuted. The first is the teaching that obedience to the law is mingled with faith as the ground of which the sinner is justified. Okay, again, I'm reaffirming what I've already stated. But the second is that the justified believer is made perfect by keeping the law. These are the errors that this book seeks to address. And that's why I would say, when I would get into these, if I've got into arguments with any of these supposed rabbis, I'm like, what do you do with the book of Galatians? I mean, sometimes that's what I'd ask them. I'm like, what... Just the book of Galatians alone, what do you do with that? Well, see, what they've found, I think is their most effective attack, is just totally undermining, trying to undermine the word of God right off the bat. Calling it into question, saying the New Testament is corrupted, particularly the King James, 
well, if it's corrupted, then we have to go to someone else for the right interpretation. See, they had it all wrong. That's what they'll try to convince you. Oh, but evidently the Babylonian Talmud is more of a better uh, rendering, and we're going we're gonna to shed light on the true word of God from that, I guess, where it says all manner of blasphemy toward Jesus Christ and all these outrageous statements that it makes. That's where I'm going to turn, right? I mean, but that, that's what they would have you believe. Paul meets the first form of error by demonstration that justification um, is through the Abrahamic covenant and that the law, and we talked about the Abrahamic covenant, okay? There's two covenants, one that generate the bondage, one that generate the freedom, okay, and grace. Uh, and that the law, which was 430 years after the confirmation of the covenant, covenant. now remember, the law came 430, 430 years after Abraham. Okay, understand, Abraham wasn't keeping the Old Testament Levitical law system. Well, he was a Jew, though. Yeah, but this was way, this was 430 years before Mount Sinai. Abraham was. That's another thing, you know, that, that they don't want to bring up, the Hebrew Jews people usually. And the true purpose of which was condemnation and not justification. The true purpose of the law was to show us our sinful hopelessly, sinfully fallen state to show us this, to, to bring us to Christ. Okay? Okay, so now that we've got that as a foundation, we know what the book of Galatians is about. Okay? Let's go to Galatians 1.6. Paul talking to the Galatians. Okay? I marvel that you are so soon removed from him, meaning Jesus, that, that called you into the grace of Christ, unto another gospel. These are the Judaizers that have come in and infiltrated these um, Galatian Christians, and they're, they're trying to bring them back into bondage. And he's saying, I marvel it that this has happened. Next verse, which is not another gospel, or which is not another, but there be some that trouble you, and would pervert the gospel of Christ. And this is exactly what we're dealing with today. We're talking about the perversion of the gospel of Christ through the, Judea, through the Judaization of the gospel. Same thing that they were dealing with. Same thing that Jesus Christ dealt with. Same thing that the apostles dealt with. In fact, it was the main problem they dealt with. And here it is becoming one of the main problems that we're dealing with in the, in the day and time we're moving into. Galatians 1.8 but though we, or an angel from heaven, now he's saying himself, but we, he's even including himself in this. Though we, and meaning maybe him and the apostles, or an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. So in other words, if he says, I come across you and I preach another gospel than I had previously preached, let myself be accursed. Let myself be accursed. Paul's talking about himself. I would say the same about myself, too. If I got into some other gospel, if Satan blinded me, you know what I mean? I tell you the same thing. Let myself be accursed. So he's not trying to hold the Judaizers to a higher accountability than he would even hold himself. Well, that's integrity. That's integrity on Paul's part, to, to do that. Don't you think? I mean, you know, that's above board. 
Galatians 1.9, as we said before, so, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you, than that which we have received, let him be accursed. He says it two times in a row. But whenever the scripture emphasizes something two times in a row, it's double verification. It means he's really wanting to drive that point home. It was that serious of a problem then, it's that serious of a problem now. So now, these are the two most, are some of the two most stern warnings in all the New Testament. And it's regarding mingling grace with any contrary doctrine. So again, this can apply to a lot of cults. Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormons, they have the pseudo-Christian veneer, Seventh-day Adventists, a lot of the uh, lukewarm Christian movements of today's day and age, the Methodists, the Lutherans, you can pretty much go through them all. <laughs> a lot of them have went to grace being saved through works. Or they're mingling works with this. Or being a good person. You know, you're saved, you know, a little bit of both. Little bro cream religion, a little dabble, do you? You know, it doesn't work that way. Does it mean that we're supposed to walk around being devils and say we're saved? No. We don't sin that grace may be abound. The Bible says, God forbid. We do not use our liberty for an occasion of the flesh. But we have to see where where where's our faith at? Where where is it where is it firmly rooted? Let's go to the next chapter, Galatians 2.3. But neither Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. Why would, why, would he, why would he even have that temptation to appease the Jews? It was a big deal for them. You've got to be circumcised. We've got to bring you under that law. It's the first step. So Titus didn't feel compelled to be circumcised, and he was with Paul, being a Greek. Next verse, and, and that because of false brethren, false brethren, wolves in sheep's clothing, and because of false brethren, unawares brought in, who came in privily, they came in privately. They don't come in with a big banner and a big, you know, placard sandwich board into the church and, and you know, march around and say, hey, I'm here to Judaize you and I'm here to bring false doctrine and leaven into the church. They're an agent of Satan. They are of their father the devil, and of his works they will do. Well, he was the most subtle beast of the field. Generally, they're very subtle. False brethren, because of false brethren unawares, brought in, who came in privily or privately, to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus. See, we have a liberty. We're not supposed to use our liberty for an occasion under the flesh. Okay? But they came in to spy that out. They're jealous. And they want to bring us into the same bondage they're in. That they might bring us into bondage. It says it right there. That's why they want to do this. And it is exactly what the Hebrew Roots Movement does. They have come in to the body of Christ to spy out our liberty, just like they did in Paul's day, to bring us into bondage. So I do get righteous and indignant about this. We're supposed to purge out the old leaven that the whole lump be made new according to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. We're not supposed to let this stuff linger. This isn't even something we should be debating. It's so obvious what the truth is here. Next verse. Here's how, here's how they dealt with it back in Galatia. 
here's how Paul said to deal with with this with these types of false brethren who are brought in unawares. To whom we gave, meaning Paul and Titus and the apostles, I would assume, to whom we gave place by subjection, no, not for an hour, that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. They didn't give them place for even an hour. They kicked them out of the church. The problem is, is there's so much leaven in the church, this is just one form of leaven, that in order for this to happen in most modern day churches, pretty much everybody would have to leave. <laughs> most people. Starting at the pastor, the uh, corporate head, the CEO of the, of the corporation that he's running in his respective corporate government IRS yoke church, because that's the norm, his 501c3 nonprofit. I got a whole series I've done on that, just key in 501c3 on the search box on my homepage. So there's so many forms of leaven. This is one of them. This is one of the most damnable heresies. This is one of the most insidious. This is one of the worst, but it's not the only one. There's all kind of garbage going on. I can't keep up with it all. But this is what the Hebrew Roots Movement does. But how Paul handled it is they didn't give them place for even an hour. Why? That the truth of the gospel might continue with you. See, that's how important it is to maintain the purity of the message of the gospel, of the salvation message. I mean, when a thousand years from now, it's all that's going to matter is who got saved and, and who didn't. Who's in the lake of fire burning and who's in heaven. And I realize there's rewards and things of this nature. Okay, but I'm talking about that's the... <laughs> salvation is the dividing point. Heaven and hell. And it's a matter of life and death, what we're talking about here today. Uh, Galatians 2.16 then goes on to say, Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. Remember I always say this, it always comes back to faith. It just always seems to come back to faith. Again, if you've had somebody convince you, like good old Michael Rood, that the word of God is corrupted and mistranslated. I mean, the guy doesn't even, he's so bold, he comes right out and says it right off the bat, starts to get you to doubt the word of God. Well, hasn't he just undermined your faith? It, hasn't he just undermined your faith in the word of God and Jesus is the word? I don't know. I wouldn't want to be in his shoes. I'm not saying I'm looking forward to the judgment seat of Christ, but I wouldn't want to be in his shoes. Oh, I believe he's going to be at the great white throne judgment unless he repents, which is where the unbelievers go. Unbelievers that have taught a false gospel. They're going to come to Jesus Christ. He even said it. You know, verily haven't we done all these great works? Haven't we cast out devils? Haven't we done this and that? And he's going to say to unto them, he says, depart from me. Ye that worketh iniquity, I never knew you. I never... It doesn't say, well, you were saved for like 10 years and then you turn. He said, I never knew you. So Jesus Christ is going to say to him. And these are going to be some of the most religious looking and sounding people that were all... A lot of them are going to be up on TV. A lot of them were behind respective pulpits or their respective rabbi garb. So if we go further, 
Let me just read this again. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ, that we might be justified by faith in Christ. That's how we're justified. Faith in Christ. And not by the works of the law. Here we go again. Not by the works of the law are we justified. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. Let's go further. Galatians 3.1 Oh foolish Galatians. Foolish. That's a strong word in the, New, in the New Testament. They're acting as fools. Because they're giving heed, they're giving place to this doctrines of devils that these Judaizers who have come in to spy out their liberty in Christ are bringing in to bring them into bondage. He calls them fools. What does that make somebody that's in the Hebrews Roots movement in God's eyes? Are they, as, are they looked upon as fools? Well, I think you could make a case for that. I don't want them to go to hell. I, I have no desire to see anyone go to hell other than the devils and his angels and his devils and demons. I don't want to see any human go to hell. I love them enough to tell them the truth. O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you? Whoa! Who hath cast a spell over you, in other words? Bewitched. Bewitched, to cast a spell. Isn't this what the Hebrew Roots Movement people are doing? I'll tell you what, dealing with them, and again, I pray to God they, they, get, they wake up and get saved. I'm not, it's not my desire to see any of them go to hell. Uh... But they are under a spell. I'm telling you right now. I've dealt with enough of them to know. And it's a very, very strong spell that they're under. Rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. Isn't this rebellion? This is rebellion. What we're talking about. Oh, adding to the word of God. You know, questioning the word of God. Bringing all these oral traditions in. It's rebellion. And it says the sin of witchcraft. It's no wonder that they are bewitched. Literally. Who hath bewitched you that ye should not obey the truth? Maybe the rabbis at this point, the ones, particularly the ones in the higher ups, practicing the Kabbalah, they could literally bewitch someone. Literally through witchcraft. It's, not, it's probably the most powerful form of witchcraft on the planet, the Kabbalah. We'll only know on the other side of eternity how true that is. But it's something to think about and to ponder. O foolish Galatians who have bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath evidently been set forth, crucified among you. This would I learn of you. Receive ye the Spirit, capital S, Spirit. Receive ye the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith. That is my question to the Hebrew Roots Movement. Are you... Oh, no, we still believe it. No, you can't have it both ways. I'm sorry. You just can't. You cannot commingle the two. Actions speak louder than words. And we've seen a lot of direct quotes from this movement. And it's very clear. Whatever they may say to the masses or, or to the new converts is not lining up with their actions and their speech 
in the documents and oral traditions that they're going by. This is what I learn of you. Receive you the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith. Always comes back to faith. Galatians 3.3 3, Are ye so foolish? Having begun in the Spirit, capital S, the Holy Spirit, are ye now made perfect by the flesh or keeping the law? Is, in what, it's, is what it's saying here. I mean, evidently, this was a pretty big deal to Paul. Even as Abraham believed God and it was accounted unto him for righteousness, what was the point there? Abraham had faith. He believed. That was what was accounted under righteousness for Abraham, not keeping the law. The law came 430 years after Abraham, as we just stated. Okay, let's go further. <clears throat> Galatians 3.6 Even as Abraham believed God, and it was accounted unto him for righteousness. And again, this is faith. Galatians 3.7 Know ye therefore that they which are of faith the same are children of Abraham. Now, some of the Hebrew Roots movement say, well, see, we're children of Abraham. We're Jews, and that means we've got to keep the law. Abraham didn't even keep the law. Remember, 430 years before the law was given. So, that really doesn't hold up either. So, again, this is the verse that many of them use to say that once we are saved, we are Jews. Again, it does say that if you be in Christ, you're Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So that means we've got to keep the law. This is the logical leap that they make. Whereas Brother Derek on Revelation News Network is doing a study right now on this where he's going to be talking about exegesis and eisegesis. Exegesis meaning using properly, properly, rightly dividing the word of truth, hermeneutics, in order to rightly divide the word of God and to bring out a proper interpretation. Whereas eisegesis means that you're reading into something and you're bringing out some unbiblical interpretation based on your opinion. This is the whole reason that we need to be skilled in the word of God. And we need to move away from milk and into strong meat eventually. So that we're not deceived by others. Because, hey, I got my clock clean many a time when I was a baby Christian. Uh, one time by a Jehovah Witness who was a patient of mine, he meant he really, you know, I had a living Bible and I hadn't even studied it and the guy cleaned my clock. And, and I realized at that point it's very important that we try to be skilled in the Word. Um, because if we're not, the devil, <laughs> uh, the devil can put people in your path that can really get you away from the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ and His sure Word. So going further, uh, Galatians 3.8, And the scripture foreseen that God would justify the heathen through faith. That's what we are. <laughs> we're the heathen. We got saved through faith, though. Now we're in right standing if, if we are born-again Christian, but that's how the Lord looked at things. <laughs> would justify the heathen through faith, preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, in thee shall all nations be blessed. All nations. That's what it meant. It's through Abraham. Well, Jesus was in that lineage. Okay? So, this is, you know, going way back. Jesus was in that lineage, you know, of, of Abraham. Galatians 3.9 So then, which they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. They which be of what? Of faith. Faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's how we're blessed with faithful Abraham. 
Not because we keep the law. Abraham never kept it. He didn't even know about it. It wasn't even given. Okay? But it's faith. Now remember, that's what I've always boiled things back to. Uh, overcome. I did a whole teaching on overcoming. Because there's a lot of conjecture. Okay, once saved, always saved. And then, and then you know, then you have the, um, the people that... You've got these two huge camps where... Once saved, always saved. And then there's another camp that almost believes you have to, you know, then we almost get into this continual works, 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 works. Got to be careful of that, too. Because if you believe in your works are getting you to heaven, or keeping you saved, I understand there's evidence of salvation, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, meekness, goodness, faith, temperance. Then you have, if um, you know, the chastisement factor... If you're not chastised, that type of thing. There's certain things you can look at in your own life to see if we be in the faith. But it's very important you don't cross over into believing that we're saved by works. And it's very easy if you're in that camp to do that. I think there's a way we can biblically balance the two positions. And that's why I did the, the teaching on overcoming. Because I believe the Bible is very clear on how it's done, but it's rarely ever preached on. And just key in part of the word overcoming in the keyword search box on my homepage, and we get into all those Bible verses, just like we're doing today. It's purely, a, pretty much a Bible study, from from uh, from what I can recall there. Uh, going further, Galatians 3.10, For as many as are of the works of the law, so you want to put yourself under the works of the law, are under the curse. You are under a curse. Remember, it says that if you preach a, another gospel that is contrary to this one, we are an angel from heaven, let him be accursed. Now it says, for as many as are under the works of the law are under a curse. It's like, okay, there's another curse you're under. For it is written, cursed is every one that continueth not in all the things which are written in the book of the law to do them. Nobody can do it though. Nobody can walk around in sinless perfection. Galatians 3.11 But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God, no man is justified by the law. It is evident that the just shall live by what? Faith. Faith. Galatians 3.12 And the law is not of faith, but the man that doeth them shall live in them. The law is not of faith. Galatians 3.13 Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law. They equate the law with being under a curse. Christ redeemed us from that. He redeemed us from the bondage of the law originally given at Mount Sinai, as we had talked about in the previous verse. The ten, you know, the Ten Commandments, and and I believe also, you know, you look, you can look at the whole Old Testament Levitical system, and then what you look into afterward, which doesn't have anything to do with the Bible, but the Pharisees, in particular, the Pharisees tried to even expand and expand and expand on it which was totally unbiblical. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. Meaning, the, the cross that he was crucified on, essentially, they're equating that with the tree. It's wood. Okay, now, I've done a whole teaching on the cross of Christ versus the, versus the accursed tree. Because there is a difference there. Where it says, take up your cross... And, and these people that wear crosses around their neck, I wouldn't advise doing that. Okay, and I would check into that 
study that I did before you make any judgments and look at the PDF file on this. Because we really need to rightly divide the word of truth in regard to exactly what does the cross of Christ mean. Galatians 3.14, the blessing that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles. So see, Jesus Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. That the blessing, why did he do it? That the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit, capital S, Holy Spirit, through faith. The Holy Spirit that comes down lives in us through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ as a born-again Christian. Next verse, is the law then against the promises of God? God forbid. For if there had been a law given, which could have given life, verily, righteousness should have been by the law. But the scripture hath concluded all under sin. All. The scripture's concluded all under sin. That's what the Bible says. Had a guy email me the other day, and he says, I, I, I can prove that, you know, that's essentially, it sounded like he was trying to prove that that was not true, that we're not all under sin. And there's too many Bible verses that indicate that that is exactly the case. That the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. We're all under sin, why? That the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. And belief is about faith. Next verse, Galatians 3.23, But before faith came, in other words, faith in Jesus Christ, we were kept under the law, shut up under the faith which should afterwards be revealed. Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster. That's why the law was given. It was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ. That we might be justified by faith. This is why the law was given. This is why a better covenant had to come. Galatians 3.25 But after faith has come, faith in Jesus Christ, we are no longer under a schoolmaster. We're no, we're no longer under the law, in other words. For ye are all children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. We're all children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. That's all I'm trying to lead people to, is the simplistic faith of Jesus Christ, the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. I don't want to try to complicate the matter. It's not a complicated issue. This shouldn't be something I have to do a teaching on, but there's a lot of usurpers and, and Judaizers out there wanting to subvert souls and drag people down to hell with them and make people twice the child of hell that they are, as Jesus accused the Pharisees of and the scribes. It's like they take pleasure in it. Let's go to Galatians 5, verse 1. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free. And be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. What does that sound like? That sounds like that Hebrews verse that we were, we were reading about the yoke, the, the one covenant that gendereth the bondage at Mount Sinai and the other covenant you know, through Abraham, the gendereth to freedom, these types of things. Well, doesn't that, it sounds familiar to Galatians 5.1, Stand fast in the liberty which Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Now, when he says again, 
it would be primarily to the Jews who were not saved, telling them, let's not do this. Let's not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Or, or to anyone, really, for that matter, who had at one point been entangled with the yoke of bondage and had been set free through the liberty that exists through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Behold, I, Paul, say unto you that if ye be circumcised, and in that regard, what he's saying is if you're circumcised, we're not talking about the cutting of the flesh, physical. We're talking about if you're doing that in order to convert to the Old Testament Levitical religion, actually, I shouldn't even say that, to convert to the current pharisaical or sagacitical, whatever flavor of Judaizing that you're converting to, if you be circumcised, Christ shall not profit you nothing. This is the warning about going back into the Hebrew Roots movement. Christ is going to eventually profit you nothing. I'm not saying everybody that's in the Hebrew Roots movement is unsaved. I, I can't make that judgment. I know that you're, you're being moved away from the hope of the gospel in Jesus Christ the longer you stay in it. A little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. Eventually it will corrupt you and it will overcome you. The Bible says of whom a man is overcome, the same he is brought into bondage. Sin is not something you want to play around with. And literally being in that movement is participating in sin. If you stay in sin, it will eventually overcome you. Going further, Galatians 5.3, For I testify again to every man that is circumcised, that he is a debtor to do the whole law. You better be doing the whole law. Remember what I just said about the, the Sabbath, those Bible verses? <laughs> you better not be picking up sticks on the Sabbath, or at least let anybody see you, because they're going to have to stone you if they're in with you. And uh, you better not be letting your maid servant or anybody that works with you or anybody in your family or even your animals do any work. You better not kindle a fire on the Sabbath in any way, shape, or form. And if you have gas, you got to convert over to a, you know, the uh, central heating. You can't you can't be lighting that flame. It's a tough one. Uh, I'm, I feel for you. I'm just saying that to, to show you, you know. Um, I think the scriptures speak clearly that we've said so far. For I testify again to every man that is circumcised that he is a debtor to do the whole law. Galatians 5.4 Christ is become of no effect unto you. Whosoever of you are justified by the law, ye are fallen from grace. That's what the Bible says, not me. For we, through the Spirit, wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. It always comes back to faith. For in Jesus Christ neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision. By faith which worketh but faith which worketh love. Galatians 5.7 Ye did run well. So he's saying at one time you guys were doing great. You did run well. Then he says, who did hinder you that you should not obey the truth? Who did this? Who came in bringing this Judaization to the simplicity of Christ and the gospel message? I'm sure there were specific ones that came in that corrupted and leavened 
this congregation of Galatia. Galatians 5.8 This persuasion cometh not of him that calleth you. A little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. It says that also in uh, 1 Corinthians 5. And we're supposed to purge out the old leaven. Whoever had brought, whoever had hindered them, whoever had brought in this damnable heresy, according to Galatians, 1, Galatians, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, they're supposed to purge that one out. And, and in so much as if they will not repent, in certain instances, you turn such an one over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh that the soul may be saved in the day of the Lord. Now, I've done a whole teaching on that. Turning such an one over to Satan. Go ahead and key that in in the search box on my homepage and you can learn about that. Or just read 1 Corinthians 5. It's pretty, pretty obvious. Galatians 5.10 I have confidence in you through the Lord, that ye will be none otherwise minded. But he that troubleth you shall bear his judgment, whosoever he be. See, we're supposed to judge these people. We're supposed to mark them, which cause division and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned, and avoid them. For they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, and by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. That's exactly what we're talking about today. I mean, let me ask you a question. Somebody that's in the Hebrew Roots Movement. Would you have ever got into the Hebrew Roots Movement, all the accoutrements and the garb, and I don't know how far a respective person may get into it. I've seen people get into the shofars. I know I had one. And the prayer shawls. And maybe you have your phylacteries, the little black yellow box, or black boxes on your head, and they go around, and you, you look like a half a rabbi. However far that, that you're into it, you know, we're supposed to mark the people that bring in these damnable heresies. Being in the Hebrews Roots Movement, ask yourself this question, if you are. Would you have ever got into that stuff if you just had a King James Bible and was reading it, apart from all of the garbage that's going on in the world? Would you have ever got into that on your own? No! You would have never got into that. That's something you need to ask yourself about a lot of different things that you may be involved with. Well, God led me to it. Well, you need, if you think God led you to it after I just read all the verses that I've read, which is the exact same warning to this very same doctrine of devils, you know, I don't know. I don't know what will convince you. Again, it's a demonic thing. When you're dealing with these people, you need to pray for them. You might, if the Lord convicts you, to fast for them if you want to see them set free. Because we battle not against flesh and blood. These are spirits that are controlling these people in the Hebrew Roots Movement. It's not, and they can deny that all day long. I don't really care if they deny it. It's a demonic spirit that emanates and operates, and it's very powerful. I believe Satan's devoting a lot of time to this, to corrupt born-again Christians, bring them back into bondage. You would have never got into that on your own. If you had a King James Bible and were reading it and believe in faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, His death, burial, and resurrection, His shed blood to save your sin, save your soul and pay your sin debt, now all of a sudden that's not enough anymore? And you got to get into all this other stuff? You would have never done that on your own and you know it. You go back a hundred years ago in Christianity, it wouldn't have been a factor, would it have? Because this Hebrew Roots movement wasn't, as far as I know, this is a very recent aberration. Obviously, it was a real big deal at the time of the writing of the New Testament. Now it's come full circle.
But if this was something that was so important and so wonderful and you had to have it, why can't we trace the unbroken line of it? Through Antioch, through through the King James Bible, through through the revivals and through, you know, why can't it wasn't it didn't exist? It's another thing to think about. I'm just trying to bring in obvious things to you, to your thinking pattern. I pray to God that everyone that is caught into this bondage, that it be broken off of them, that Lord God in heaven, that you give them eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to receive, that every devil and demon and evil entity and fallen angel and fallen cherub that would try to hinder this process from happening, from anyone listening to these recordings, that they be bound up and rebuked and cast into the abyss, until which time they'd then be cast in the lake of fire, and that none would be able to come to take their place. That is my prayer for you in the Hebrews Roots Movement. I love you enough to tell you the truth. I don't want to see you go to hell. And if, if I was in your shoes, I would want somebody to tell me. This isn't about me hating anyone. Like I've been accused of. Anyway, uh, let's go further here. Uh, let's see. Again, we're supposed to mark them. In other words, that was the, the whole point of the, of the last verse. The Bible's very clear. Um, Paul marked many people by name. Alexander the coppersmith did me much evil. The Lord reward him according to his works. He named a guy by name who had done him much evil, and he said, the Lord reward him according to his works. Ananias and Sapphira were marked in the Bible. Well, we can't judge anybody. Yes, we do. We judge those that are within what we're not supposed to do is judge all of those that are without without the body of Christ. But if you call yourself a born again Bible believing Christian, or you're teaching within, you're, tre- you're teaching some pseudo Christian doctrine, I have every right in the world to mark you, or, or teaching some doctrine that will take you away from the Lord Jesus Christ. I have every right in the world to mark you. I should be marking you. This is part of earnestly contending for the faith that was once delivered unto the saints according to the book of Jude. The Bible says, Demas has forsaken me for this present world. He marked Demas. He marked Alexander the coppersmith. Marked him by name. Wolves in sheep's clothing. Wells without water. I mean, you could go on and on and on where they're marked. It's because the church hasn't marked them that the church is in the shape that it's in. They've just let the leaven come in and they haven't even tried to stop it. Most of the time the head is so sick or so lukewarm that it doesn't have the power to stop anything. People ask me, where do I go to church? I don't know. I don't know where to tell you. Start your own. Start. I mean, if you're a woman, I'm not telling you to start church, but I'm saying, you know, if, if that's something you've got to pray about. I have on the forum now, on our Christian forum, on the internet, and the forum is posted uh, at the top of all my newsletters, or, or within the uh, my end time current event, and also whenever I send out an audio, the new forum is on there, and you can go there, and there's a section in there where people can network, and regarding is there anybody in this particular area that I live in, it's about all I can offer, I, I can't offer you a whole lot more. There's very few churches out there that, that um, I could point you to. So, going further, 
Galatians 5.10, I have confidence in you through the Lord that you will be none otherwise minded, but he that troubleth you shall bear his judgment whosoever he be. And I, brethren, if I preach circumcision, why do I yet suffer persecution? He doesn't preach it. He's saying, if I did, why do I yet suffer persecution? Then the offense of the cross is ceased. Because the, the cross is an offense to most people. I would, they were even cut off, which trouble you. Now, that word cut off actually means to amputate. The, the Greek that it was derived from actually means to amputate. Okay? But isn't this what the Hebrew roots and the rabbis within this movement, and how they're trying to defile Christians, isn't that what they're doing? Isn't this exactly who he was talking about here? The Judaizers that had come in to spy out their liberty in Christ? He's saying, Paul's saying here, I would, meaning I wish, they were even cut off, which trouble you, amputated out of your presence. It's a pretty strong word. Pretty strong words. Well, he realizes that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump, and that these people coming in are going to, going to eventually defile the whole congregation. Please read 1 Corinthians chapter 5, and please see my teaching on turning such an one over to Satan for a more full expose on that. It's the exact same thing, though, that we're dealing with, this Hebrew root study. Uh, Galatians 5.13, For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but to serve one another. Remember, they let they that are greatest among you be your servant. The, the person who is a servant is actually in, in Christ is actually the one that's considered the greatest. Not the one that has the highest position in the church or takes the preeminence or loves to be seen praying and be seen giving. Verily they hath their reward. But let they that are greatest among you, let them be your servant. There, there are many, the Bible says, that are, that are last in this earth that will be first in heaven. And many that were first in this earth that will be last in heaven. Meaning they were saved, but they were probably saved yet so as by fire, as the Bible talks about at the judgment seat of Christ. Okay, so, for brethren, ye have been called unto liberty, only use not your liberty for an occasion of the flesh, but to serve one another. Next verse, 5.14, Galatians 5.14. For all the law is fulfilled in one word. Now, we're going to get into this a lot more. It says all the law is fulfilled in one word here. Because people say, well, we've got to keep the commandments, and that means we've got to keep the law, we've got to do this, we've got to do that. But the Bible says here, for all the law is fulfilled in one word, even this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Remember, it's this is a changing of the guard. These are this is a better covenant. Galatians five fifteen. But if ye bite and devour one another, take heed that ye be not consumed one of another. This I say then, walk in the spirit, capital S, and ye shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Walk in the you know, Holy Spirit. For the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary to one another so that you cannot do the things that you would. But if you are led of the Spirit, you are not under the law. If you are led of the Spirit, capital S, ye are not under the law. That's what the Bible says, not me. 
Okay. I'm going to go ahead and end part uh, 11 here. We're going to go to part 12 next and finish up for today. God bless you.